Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about how to prioritize different types of product work. It's always tempting to work on new features, but it's also important to spend time maintaining what you already have. We're going to try to figure out the right way to balance those competing interests. But first, let's give some updates. So what's up this week, Rick? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what are you I'm, laughing uh, at? Oh, I just ate a bunch of hummus. And my <laughs> mouth is like, you know how it's really grainy? Yeah. Hummus. Yeah. So I, it's like I can't get my palate tongue normal to to do the podcast. So perfect podcasting advice bit. here. Always yes. eat a bunch of hummus. Don't drink anything right before recording. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I've heard you're not um, supposed to drink anything except water before, like whether it's a podcast or any, anything where your voice is being recorded. So the four cups of coffee I had this morning. I, I don't know if or, I don't know if idea. it's true advice, but like soda and stuff like that, I guess can kind of mess up how you talk. Yeah, so I, if you see me sweating, I just wrapped up my morning workout. We're doing this at a different time mm -hmm, this week. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving so, weekend. Thanksgiving weekend, or yep. Week. <laughs> yeah, Thanksgiving week. So we moved it up, uh, our, our recording up a couple of days. And we're doing it in the morning, which is is different. So, um, But yeah, I just finished working out. If, I, if you see me profusely sweating, it's not the intensity of this conversation. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So you got any plans for uh, the holidays or anything? Yeah, I'm actually heading to Myrtle with uh, my side of the family. Um, uh, Myrtle Beach is in South Carolina. It's basically party town beach area. We're going to medieval times for Thanksgiving dinner, That's awesome. um, which I don't think many people can. I don't, if you haven't been to medieval times, you get a huge turkey leg as your main course and you get to watch knights battle each other. Um, which is kind of fun. And is this a, uh, Lindquist family tradition or? The tradition is we, we have, I have a very wide gap of siblings. So I'm the oldest of five, but my youngest brother is barely 13. And so because I was in college, we had a bunch of kids starting school and then I ended up graduating. The only time we could all get together was Thanksgiving. So that's the, that's the one time of year we can count on being able to all go someplace as a destination and vacation together. So I don't know, when I was in college, maybe 15 years ago, it turned into, Thanksgiving has turned into a, a place where we travel for vacation versus come home. And, uh, and so it's, the tradition is, is go, go somewhere. This year it happens to be medieval times at Merle Beach. Nice. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I, I have, I leave my flights tomorrow morning and. Uh, I got to get a lot done, uh, today and, and tomorrow morning before, you know, so I don't have to focus. Um, if I wake up early while I'm there, I'll try to get some writing and reading and coding done. But if not, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to enjoy time with the family, but I do have something to announce. I, so we talked about beta users a couple episodes ago, uh, for my health insurance venture. I do have my first beta user signed up and I have my first interview with them, uh, today, uh, at, uh, over, over a beer at, uh, at a bar. So in-person customer development interview. What does it mean to have a beta user? Because my understanding is you don't have a product. The product is, I do have a product that's it's on, on available um, at a obscure web address subdomain of webflow.com. But yeah, so you, uh, you can sign up and then I grant you access to the product. And that starts with a, an interview like I'm doing today and a free beer. What is the product though? Like what, what value does it provide aside from your services? Oh, it's, just, it's the exact same thing that we talked about. They get to sign up and they'll be able to input their health insurance, give me their health insurance card, which I'll collect today when I have the beta user and I'll be able to update them about their deductibles and progress. Um, they'll be able to make me the broker and they'll also be able to call me or chat with me anytime they have a question. Cool. Looking forward to yeah. hearing how that goes. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'll learn something. How'd you find the beta user? Network. Yeah. Yeah, I just reached out. I'm reaching out to only Utah people that I know and trust who want, who I think will be co-creators versus just users. Okay, cool. Sounds good. What about you? What do you got going on? Uh, well, you know, we're recording this like two business days after we recorded the last one. So not a lot has happened. But um, no, I for the first time, maybe since the beginning of summer, 
I don't have any real like backlog of stuff to do. Um, during the summer, I always get really busy because we have interns and stuff and a bunch of little things pile up. And then I, for the last several months, have just been working. I mean, I'm doing other stuff, but like I always have these things hanging over my head. Um, and I've basically finished it. And so I've spent the last few days just coding um, in a guilt-free way, which is awesome. I, I've said before, I find it really like invigorating to be able to code. But normally when I do it, I'm like shirking other responsibilities to to do that. And now I, I honestly don't have a ton of other stuff I should be doing. So it feels good. That's good. So you have guilt-free coding. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we I said we like soft launched this redesign a few weeks ago, but that was, it wasn't a real, like it's not done. Um, there's still probably a couple months left of work for the team. So I'm just kind of jumping in and knocking stuff out like all the other programmers. It's yeah, good times. <laughs> That's fun. So basically just continue, a continuation of the work you did when you were out visiting here a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think pretty soon I'll need to, like I do the design and I'm, I'm the only person who does design and I'm one of many coders. So my more important role is design. Um, I shouldn't say many coders. I'm one of five, but like, I need to be ahead of everybody else on design. So probably I'll stop coding soonish and start designing whatever the next thing is, so that people aren't waiting on that. But uh, yeah, for now I'm I'm enjoying it. That's awesome. Do you um, do you have any switching gears? Do you have any plans? Special plans for Thanksgiving? My family is uh, pretty tradition based when it comes to Thanksgiving. Like. My mom's a great cook. She, she, you know, she has this food blog. Her most popular post is her Thanksgiving turkey. About a hundred thousand people look at her turkey recipe on Thanksgiving Day every year. <laughs> so really, yeah, it's it's a her her big hit is Thanksgiving stuff. So it would be silly for her not to be you know cooking cooking Thanksgiving for the family. So just doing that. Does she do the exact same thing every year, or does she add a, a spice it up every year? Um. She maybe spices it up a little, but this is not the the time for experimentation. I don't think um, it's it's a pretty standard like turkey, mashed potatoes, that type of thing, which is not my Sounds favorite great. meal. She does it well, but I, I don't really like any of the Thanksgiving food personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, turkey's not my thing. <laughs> well, well uh, you'll have to maybe mail me some some of the leftovers. Yeah, well, you can go online and look at all the pictures. Theyummylife.com. <laughs> the yummy <laughs> shameless plug. Yep. Um, aren't you like, uh, don't you guys co-own the site? Uh, we do. I, I don't, I don't think legally I have any ownership, but I have like a, a dividend sort of, although I, I think it might be time for me to give that up cause I'm, it's been years since I've brought any real value to it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you want to jump in, you want to introduce the topic for today? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, this one is me. It actually segues nicely from what I was just talking about, which is I'm about to start designing stuff and kind of thinking about what's next for the, the product team here at Less Annoying CRM. So what we're going to talk about is basically, the, like any company, there's a lot of different things I want to work on next. Uh, we're finally at the point where we have multiple developers, so we can do multiple things at once, which is not really something I've been faced with much in the past. And I'm trying to figure out how to prioritize like different categories of things. So one category is building totally new features like that's kind of the sexy fun to announce type of thing like here's something the software can do that it couldn't do before versus improving existing features in a way that customers care about versus improving features in a way that customers won't even notice but like the idea of paying off technical debt or something like that um so a, a bit of context here uh like we're finishing up this redesign in a couple months we're going to have all four developers plus myself moving on to other things um and basically, while we've been doing this redesign, which took almost all year, we've we've cut a lot of corners, right? The goal was to get it done as quickly as possible. So there's a lot of stuff we want to go back and fix. This is normally referred to as technical debt. Um, there's also a lot of like, we have a lot of ideas for just minor tweaks to our current products that our customers would love, like little one week, two week things, but we could do it for a year and not run out of ideas there. And they're just slam dunks makes the product better. And then there's like the kind of go out and really do something new that our product doesn't currently do and maybe have a bigger splash, but it's a little more risky. 
So yeah, I'm interested in basically just A, figuring out what should I be doing, but B, coming up with a framework for how should I think about this in the future? Yeah. So is this, um, what time frame are you thinking about? Is it over tw- the full course of 2020, starting in January? Is it mm-hmm. next month for a couple of months? What are you thinking? Um, probably, uh, I think the next six months, like, like January through, you know, June, July would probably be a good, uh, like planning the most immediate next things. And then I'd like the framework I was talking about can inform once, you know, in April or May, when we start planning the next six months, I'd like to be able to apply that framework again. Makes sense. How have you gone about this in the past? I just haven't, um, Partially, I've been very undisciplined about it. It's gone fine. It hasn't been a problem exactly. But normally, there's just an obvious next thing. Um, having said that, it's not clear that the obvious next thing is actually the right next thing. But in the moment, it's like, what what piece of software, what piece of our product is clearly the worst thing? That's normally what's going to get the most attention. Well, it sounds like you're, you want to add some discipline to your planning process. And then you also, it sounds like, have some capacity to do more than one thing. Um, and yeah, in terms of you have more developers and that are, that are fully up to speed and capable that you can put to work on different things and, and get more done. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the reasons I say, I've never had a system for this, we haven't launched a totally new, like, like little features, but like a new major thing in maybe since 2014 or something like that. The last several big projects we've done, we're just redoing things we already had. So we redid the calendar, we redid custom fields, we did a redesign. So yeah, it's kind of weird having the resources say, well, should we actually start adding to the functionality? This was a big challenge for me. Um, I went through a similar transition uh, from Zane Benefits to PeopleKeep. At Zane Benefits, it was very much a I was the dictator of what got done on a monthly to quarterly basis. And there wasn't this engaged planning process that we thought about things over a long period of time. When I hired, when I, when I got money to fund people keep and hired a new CTO for that, he brought a whole another mentality around roadmap planning and, and thinking through. Um, and the question, like one thing that was really hard for him to do a good roadmap on the situation that made it very hard for him to do a roadmap on was a situation in which I hadn't clarified the company goals for the year. So, um, I, you know, I guess what the, where I would start with this is what are the, if we look at the, the time frame for a year from a company perspective at the end of 2020, when you're looking back, what are the things you want to have accomplished and how will you have measured that? That should drive the first six months of the product roadmap. Yeah. So if, if I only get to answer one goal, um, I want 2020 to be the year of the referral. Um, I want it to be word of mouth, like I, we we talked about this in a podcast, uh, I don't know, a month ago about how I was thinking, you know, I had some questions around referrals and word of mouth. Um, from a business standpoint, I want to make that better, but I also think product can have a big role in there. Now, having said that, I've been making a fair number of implicit or explicit promises to the dev team about like, it's okay to cut this corner. We'll, we'll come back and clean that up later. So I have other concerns beyond just this one big goal, but that's that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And, and are you sure referrals are the right way and it's not one level up, like increase leads or sales? I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, uh, I, ta- I take it any way possible, but we have talked a fair amount about how do we, how do, what do we think the most realistic and sustainable way to do that is? And we think it's referrals. Okay. Well, um, one way to think about goals, I know this isn't the topic of the co- of the podcast, is to go at the company level, leave yourself a lot of room for trial and error and just say, hey, we want to see an increase in signups mm-hmm. or the rate signups is growing or something like that. And then you start getting into your road mapping on the product side and, you know, okay, that's one of our goals for the year is to increase signups. How, what are some different things we can do that? And then on the roadmap, you prioritize a referral program as your first effort, but then you, you leave yourself on the roadmap, um, independent of your company goals, um, some room to try something, learn, and then switch course without having to change your company goal. Yeah. So let, let me give a little, maybe referrals is too specific, but I want to be more specific than just like increasing sales. Um, so I think word of, maybe referrals is a subset of word of mouth, I guess, depending on how you define these terms. Word of mouth is what we want. And let me explain why. Um, uh, last time I brought a topic, so two weeks ago, we talked about pricing. 
And because of that episode, and I kind of referenced this during my update last week, we've been talking more and more about like, why do we need to do the pricing increase and all that? And the big reason is, um, I think the business model at our current price, and sorry, I said price increase, that's oversimplifying, adding an extra tier or something like that. Um, Our business would work great at $10 a month if we can get organic, like word of mouth growth up to the point where it's netting out churn, giving us 15% growth a year, let's say. Um, If it's less than that, probably our business model at $10, it's not going to fail, but we need to look at pricing more seriously. So the, uh, sorry, I'm not articulating this well, but like if we went out and increased sales from say Google AdWords or, you know, some specific sales channel that would not scale with the business and it wouldn't alleviate any of my concerns about the actual economics of the business itself. Word of mouth growth would give us the information we need to make that pricing decision before the end of the year. In other words, you have to figure out a multiplier of one customer, one plus one customer equals one point some multiple of that customer. And mm-hmm. if you can't figure that out, then you've got to, you've got to solve the plateau problem of your business some other way, whether it's a price increase on existing product or adding new products, that sort of thing. That's exactly right. So yeah, the, the plateau thing, and it's not so much that I need the growth next year. It's that I want to know the answer to, is that growth there is or it, do we need to figure something else out? Is this product that we have right now tapped out or not? Yeah. And the only way you're, you, 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 the way you're going to know that is if you can create a, a, a one plus one equals three or one plus one equals two plus mm-hmm. type scenario. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I totally get it. So some sort of multiplication formula of of, of customers. Um, is this? I, I want to be clear because a couple of weeks ago we talked about adding a second product. Is this? Is is adding a second? Have you decided adding a second product and thus increasing unit economics is secondary to this? Yeah, so this is a huge decision, which I feel really good about. I kind of hinted at this in, in my update last week. We basically decided, not not that we will never think about a second pricing tier or whatever else, but what we decided is we're not going to mix these two decisions together of can we juice word of mouth enough to get to a point where we're happy and do we need to increase prices? So what we're going to do is we're going to punt on that, say probably around the end of next year, hopefully we can make a decision on if we even need to think about pricing. But first, we want to give it a good effort at the $10 to make it work. So that's what we're focusing on right now. Good, man, kudos. You have, that is such a disciplined decision that I I think, given in me being in the same situation as you, I would not be able to make. Um, <laughs> I've constantly over, uh, sp- spread too thin our, my development resources and my company mm. resources on on competing goals. And uh, I love it. I think it's brilliant. And you know, if you figure it out earlier, you can always move up the timeline on the pricing question and or adding additional products. Yeah. So um, I think it's brilliant. Uh, so cool. so 2020 is the year of uh, of of figuring learning whether you've tapped out your CRM product, the market for your CRM product. And if so, expanding it. And if not, moving on to the next thing. I love it. Absolutely. And let me just caveat this because I don't know if any of my customers listen to this. There's absolutely no consideration of like the products tapped out, let's radically pivot or anything like that. It's just, do we want to add something else on or do we want to stay 100% on this one product? Is it worth investing additional functionality and features into the existing product above and beyond what the customers need to stay there mm-hmm. or not? That is the question. Yeah, exactly. And and so do you, uh, that's really clear. Um, I guess, um, is there any reason that you would have a roadmap? Why, why not just make the roadmap 100% focused on that outcome? So I'll admit a part of me is tempted to do that. Um, in particular, so so let me explain. The, the, the product improvements that really relate to word of mouth growth, in my opinion, are bringing, uh, building products that make our customers want to reach out to their customers via our software. So we talked about an appointment scheduling product. Invoicing would do this. Web forms would do this. It would bring a lot of value. Our customers would love to have these features. But key for us is they'd be sending links to their customers. When their customer links clicks that link, they get taken to lessannoyingcrm.com. That's really the category of improvement we're talking about here, I think. Um, why don't we do 100% only that? It's probably almost entirely... well. 
I have two reasons. One is, like I said, I've kind of made promises to people internally that like we're going to clean up a lot of the shortcuts we made. And you know, I, I'm you've dealt with this before, right? If you if you accumulate too much technical debt, it can become a problem, and it's never the right time to pay off technical debt. Yeah, let me. I can probably, as a non-technical person, I could probably explain technical debt from a business standpoint for mm-hmm. you non-technical people out there like me. Um, so basically, think of it as um, you know when you're in a working, mo- you're really focused and you're getting something done for for a specific task, and your and stuff just starts piling up on your desk all around you, and um, you, it, it it doesn't matter right now because you're focused on this one task, but the minute you finish your existing task and you have to go figure out your next task and you've got all this shit all over your desk and you got, you can't find things and they, it, it, there's stuff in your way. That's technical debt for an engineer. And it's basically um, stuff that accumulates in the code base um, that gets in the way of producing new features or fixing existing bugs. Um, it just makes writing code harder and, and progressing the code base harder. Um, that's the best way to explain it. Um, and rarely for the business, from a CEO standpoint, from a salesperson standpoint, from a customer standpoint, does it make sense in the near term? Or do, do you receive any benefit as a customer in the near term of technical technical deck prioritization? Typically, it's a long-term play to allow future development. So it's very it takes a lot of discipline to prioritize paying it paying it down. And it's basically like taking on credit card debt that you never pay off. Um, you, you know, you either have a kind of approach of you don't ever let it accumulate for more than a period of time and you pay it down, or you have a set balance that accumulates and you say, Hey, we're not going to go above this threshold, but it takes discipline. I guess, um, that's the background. Would you add anything to that on technical debt? Uh, I, I think that's a great explanation, which I'm going to steal from now on, but let me give a specific, like to make it a little more specific here, just one version of it we're dealing with. So back in the day, we wrote our code in normal PHP, which is a pretty standard web programming language. Then we updated to React, and we ported like three quarters of our code base over to React, and it's there. But then a new version of React came out, and we ported like 75% of our React code to that. And then we moved a lot of our code to TypeScript. So we have four different versions of our code right now. And this causes two problems. First of all, now some new version is going to come out and like we can't update to the new thing until we have everything at least caught up to the last version. Secondly, every time we hire a new person, like an intern or something like that, onboarding them and teaching them the code base, they're learning four systems instead of one. And it really, really slows down the velocity of ramping up a new person. So yeah, it provides no value to the customer in the short term, but it really does slow stuff down if we never pay it off. So um, I guess, do you how have you approached technical debt in the past from a time allotment standpoint? Uh, we've tried The thing we've tried is we have what we call dev chores. Um, we haven't been disciplined about actually doing this, but the idea is every developer should spend three weeks a year doing dev chores. And there, we have a list of what that could be. Each person kind of has their own interests and what they want to work on. But the idea is that that would like at least keep us from getting worse than we are now, but maybe not ever fully pay it off. The thing is, during this redesign, we totally suspended dev chores, and so we're we're behind now. Oh, got it. Um, got it. So you basically have have made a decision recently over a period of time to accumulate technical debt without paying any of it down, mm-hmm. and now you're in a situation where you're, you got engineers are getting a little crabby with you. Um, you're probably feeling a little guilty about it. You know, for the long term, you need to focus on this. But the question is, how and when do you turn your attention yeah. to it? The best advice I ever got about this was from Ben at Lucid. And he basically said, listen, you always just dedicate a percentage of time um, on a given period uh, to technical debt. And you ramp it up and down based on how important it is. So you never don't do technical debt. Uh, it's just a question of what what percentage of time? It sounds like you have that mentality. I would ask you, I mean, what's best for the business? Should you be paying 10% down? Well, I, I think I agree that you should be paying some amount of technical debt down. And mm-hmm. I think you do too. So we don't probably need to talk about that. But how much right. is the question? Um, and yeah, like a, a part of me, I can see both sides of this. A part of me thinks less knowing CRM is a unique business and that we don't have any investor pressure. We're willing to move slow and be patient. A part of me thinks we should be the rare company that basically doesn't have any. I mean, you can never not have any, but like, if if we have technical debt that everyone agrees we're going to have to do this at some point, let's just do it. 
let's eat our vegetables. Um, a part of me thinks that, and another part of me thinks, you know, it hasn't really caused a problem thus far exactly. Let's just keep accumulating, let's keep putting stuff on the credit card. <laughs> yeah, it feels to me like you have a critical market and product question to answer right now that trumps technical debt in a big way. Honestly, like at the end of the day, like if, if you answer this question, let's just play if, what if for a second, if the, if, if the what if after the six months of focusing on creating the multiplying effect, the word of mouth effect, does it pay off? And you get, you come to the conclusion, Hey, like this is, this is the product. This is the market. We're going to have to add, you know, play with pricing or play with product, uh, new products in order to grow this business. Technical debt, that's when you prioritize technical debt to add, you know, um, scale to what you're currently doing. It's almost like, it's almost like you should be doing, I, I mean, it seems like you have a very clear question to answer that ma basically makes it so the code base is going to get pretty, for that product in particular, is going to get pretty either um, important for future growth or stable in terms of, you know, a recurring revenue stream. And that's going to tell you a lot more about how you should prioritize technical debt than not knowing the answer to the question. I agree, except the, the problem is, let's just walk through a hypothetical scenario here. We build appointment scheduling. It doesn't move the needle enough on word of mouth. And we decide, okay, we need to, like, we have reached the conclusion that something needs to change with pricing. Let's say it's, we're going to add another product for an extra $5 a month or something like that. The exact same thing you just said is going to apply then, where it's going to be like, it's very clear what we need to do right now. We need to add that extra product. Technical debt can take a back seat. Yeah, I guess where I, I, I feel like a, I feel like adding another product is going to require a lot of cleanup of the code based on my experience at PeopleKeep. Uh, and so it's probably going to make a lot more sense then. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you, technical debt seems like a very low priority to me as an outsider looking in. I, and I don't buy that you promised an employee that you would do something when it's no longer the right decision for the business is a good reason to do something. Um, unless like they can make an argument and convince you that it's the right thing for the business. I, I just don't know what that argument is right now. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. It's, I, the argument I think is just, it's a question of when, if not now, when, um, because I've, we said the exact same thing for the last nine months. Well, the problem, the problem right? is though, you lost some discipline and I think that that's probably worth some reflection on is like, should you, like, if you look, if you, do you regret not putting 10% into technical debt over the last nine months? No, I think it was 100% the right decision. Okay. Well then apply regret. But that assumes that at some point we actually do catch, so, like we were the whole time we were saying, we're going to spend three months, the whole dev team's going to just do dev chores and we're going to catch up. So yeah, at some point that's going to be the right decision, right? Like maybe, maybe never, maybe it'll be some percentage of time. The question is how much time now when you're facing a pretty significant next level up question for your business. Yeah. Should we be focused on like cleaning up what we've already done or answering that question? And there's no question to me that should be focused on answering that question and only doing enough technical debt uh, pay down to, to, to make that answering that question more efficient. So I actually think there's not as much of a dilemma here as we might be saying, because the reality is um, we need one or maybe two people to build this product. Like I think appointment scheduling is the key. Uh, thing we need to build. This is not a project the whole team would be working on either way. Um, so whereas before we were saying the whole team will be doing technical debt for a while, I think it's easy enough to say, let's pull off. I, I really think it's a one person project, at least the first iteration of it. Let's pull off that one person, put them on it right away. But that doesn't mean nobody else is working on technical debt. Um, so let's say that's the framework, but then we've still got other things in here as well. So kind of flying up to your original question, which is there's three buckets, right? One bucket is new features. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be primarily focused on answering this question we just talked about, which is the multiplying effect, right? Yes, I have a wrinkle. I, I totally okay. agree with you conceptually, yes. All right. Um, this redesign that we've been working on comes with two... It's not just a redesign. It comes with two major functionality changes, new features. One is Outlook calendar syncing. That one will be done and tied off. That's not a problem. The other one is a dramatic improvement to how custom fields work. Custom fields is a tough 
one to to overhaul because we have all this data, you know, like a hundred million records. We can only do certain things before everyone is migrated into the new system. So we basically split custom fields into phase one and phase two. Phase one, we can do with the redesign. It's mostly just UI changes, not much going on in the back end. Phase two, we have to wait for everybody to get migrated to the new design before we can do it. So we have been, once again, I I don't think necessarily anyone's going to be that upset with us for breaking a promise, but we've been saying we are doing custom fields, both phases, but we can't do phase two until. Who's promise? uh, We've told it to customers. This is this is less employees and more customers. I think. Oh, that's t- that's a different. That's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um. So I don't think anyone would like revolt, but we've been saying for a long time, custom fields is going to include these things, and and it, you know, we're we're largely most of the way towards building them, but we do have to finish that, which is another, I don't know, two three month project probably. And you're a customer first kind of guy, right? Uh, actually, I don't know. I think the, the output that I want is customer first. I think the input is employee first and that leads to customer first. I think happy, talented employees is the best thing for customers. If you broke promises to customers, like not doing this field thing, that would upset employees. Um, yes or no? I, I I should, this is, I'll bring this up in our next weekly meeting. I, I think they would be less net Everyone has different opinions. Net less ex- upset about delaying custom fields versus delaying technical debt would be my guess. Makes sense. Yeah. So in- this is interesting, kind of a rabbit hole we got into, but coming back up, like it feels like there's three categories of things you need to do for different reasons. Uh, the big driver, like stretch goal for the year is figure out this uh, word of mouth thing. That's going to take a lot of the roadmap percentage in the form of new features. Then there's ex- you know improvement of existing features. It sounds like this promise you've made to customers around uh, the custom fields is is part of that mm-hmm. piece. And then there's technical debt, which is kind of a discipline thing. Just because you just got to do it, and you got to just like you got to take a shower every day and yeah. brush your teeth. You got to do the maintenance, and uh, and it's just a question really for you to talk to employees and then allocate kind of a percentage, like it feels to me like it's really a percentage allocation across those three things. And that's going to answer your question. The question is what percentage should you allocate? Yep. I, I think that's right. Yeah. We're not going to totally ignore any of these things, but something's getting delayed and that the percentage allocation will decide. Yeah. What's getting, what's, what's maybe custom fields gets done nine months later than people were thinking it would, or maybe technical debt waits longer or something like that. Something's getting delayed. Yeah, I think, and I think communication can go a long way um, to serving both goals of the word of mouth goal and the uh, custom fields goal by overly communicating that you're working on that and keeping people up to date, even though if it may take longer, it could compl- you're doing both. Right? Yeah. So can I can I just like side note on the custom fields thing that like a, an yeah. important lesson I've learned that I'm gonna I think be a lot more disciplined about in the future. Like I don't think it will be hard to be disciplined about this. The reason we're in this pickle with custom fields is because we treat it as one big monolithic project versus 10 different things that would happen like once we don't do sprints, but one sprint at a time. Um, So when I'm looking at 2020, all of the bigger projects, including appointment scheduling, I think we're going to break into really small things where we can say, let's do, you know, a two week thing. And and in two weeks, we'll decide, are we going to do the next thing? Are we going to split off into something else? That makes sense to me. Yeah. So I, re- I regret doing custom fields the way we did it, I guess. <laughs> yep. Yep. Makes total sense. Well, what, what else? Um, it feels like we haven't really gotten into how to prioritize necessarily, but more how to think about um, what to prioritize. I, I kind of don't worry about the, if, if for me, it's like, if, if you can get the right outcome focus at the company level and then set the right strategy on the roadmap in terms of percentages across those buckets, it feels like a, it turns into really a conversation and driven by the team on what to work on, obviously heavily influenced by you, um, given you're the design slash marketing person. Yeah. I like that. Especially, you know, one benefit to having a big customer service team who actually has influence over the company, their happiness is almost 100% correlated with customer happiness. So what, what makes a customer service person happy? It's not getting yelled at on the phone, basically. Um, so they're going to advocate for whatever the customers want most, and they're going to have the best idea of anyone at the company what that is. And then the developers will be saying, I want to pay down technical debt. <laughs> and yeah, we can just balance all that, I guess. 
Exactly. And then, you know, set, set resource allocation. We're going to spend this much development hours on technical debt, this many, you know, development hours on customer service pay, you know, debt pay down and this many hours on answering the most important question to our business right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm almost wondering if like, cause if, if it's just the question of what is best for the business, I think you're right that that's easier to answer. But the hard thing is like, there are emotions involved here and like trust and morale within the, the team. I almost wonder if a certain percentage of priorities should be like more of a democracy sort of. Like at the end of the day, I decide what stuff is, but uh, we could say, you know what? 25% so one developer, that's a democracy. Like I'm saying the priority for the company is appointment scheduling. We're gonna devote the resources we need to that. Let's, but the rest of it, you, you tell me, is it, is it technical debt? Is it, uh, and the next integration, what, what's the thing you want? Sounds like you already know, but you might, it, it probably would pay off just to ha- start the conversation from a bottom up standpoint yeah. um, and have this conversation be, it's not a democracy, but definitely be, um, debated heavily mm-hmm. before you make a final decision. Um, <laughs> And then you, you know, if you can make the decision at a higher level and let people some have some freedom within how they implement those, um, that could go a long way too. Yeah, I agree. One challenge with this is, uh, I find that I can very easily. So the, the main way I get this feedback is every week I do a group brainstorming meeting with three randomly selected people. So over, it takes about a month, five weeks for everyone to cycle through this. And these are the types of things we talk about. So everyone has had a say and I think they feel heard and stuff. Having said that, uh, this is a hard decision and nobody has more perspective about all the factors that weigh into it than I do. And so what I find is most people are pretty deferential to me. They're like, you tell me, <laughs> you know, which doesn't mean that the outcome doesn't affect their morale or anything, but that they don't necessarily know the answer the way, well, the way I don't know the answer. The way I would do this if I were you, and I don't know if this is right for your situation is I would, I would talk to Bracken and I would come up with a draft set of company goals for 2020 that are very clear and they're the, don't worry about the goal necessarily being 2020. It could be for six months. We come up with a, a company focus. And then I'd say, guys, I'm going to share this with the company. We have until, you know, December 31st or whenever to uh, beat the hell out of these. And I want you to tell me what you like, you don't like. Um, I want, if you want to, you know, add another goal, remove a goal, uh, challenge a goal, do it. And you work through that. And I think you'll find like that it's more of a buy-in process and you'll probably change something as well. And then you'll have solid goals starting the year that you can then turn into roadmap planning for your development team. Yeah. I like this a lot because I think if I'm examining myself, the main like uncertainty I have, it's not about what do we make the right decision? Because the reality is five years from now, looking back, am I going to care if custom fields was done in early 2020 or late 2020? I'm probably not going to care. Um, what I care about is people reacting negatively to the decision. And as long as everyone has a voice in what the decision is, no one can really get all that mad about it. Yep. Okay. Um, one step to consider prior to putting out your and Bracken's draft goals is to do like a quick survey of some kind. Maybe it's a, uh, a Dropbox, something that lets people sort of formally give their feedback. You may not need that because you're doing these other mm-hmm. sessions that are getting that feedback. But I sometimes when I skip that step at people keep, especially when we had larger employee, you know, more employees, um, people didn't feel like they had a chance to say something before the draft was made. Um, and so, but I did, you know, draft goes a long way anyway. Yeah, especially so if you say, I, hey, this is not final. I want you to beat it up. Absolutely. And th- the thing that I'm I'm finding like this is kind of like reducing my stress around this is we can pretty easily say, like if I said just in a vacuum, this feature, how important is it? One through 10, 10, everyone's going to say 10, this feature, 10, this feature, 10. But if I'm just like, here's six things everybody wants, rank them. That moment, everyone's going to have like, oh yeah, this is tough. <laughs> that, that And that's what you need. You need mm-hmm. people to, to go, to go through the trade-off decisions in their head with you versus having to catch them up after you've already made those because it slows everyone down. And that's what you're afraid of. Mm -hmm. You're afraid of rolling something out and them not understanding all the trade-off decisions that were made and then having to spend January getting everyone bought in because they didn't have as much information as you. That's, that is what this exercise is designed to avoid. 
Yeah. Okay. So I like that a lot. I think that should be layered on top of what we were saying earlier, which is kind of having certain discipline about like, well, we're not going below this percent of technical debt payoff and we're not, you know, whatever. So like to say everyone has a, a voice, but we can't break these fundamental rules that we have. I call them constraints. Mm-hmm. Like what are your constraints on this big audacious goal for the year? And if, uh, you know, these things don't get dropped, they take priority. Yeah. Okay. So probably I'll have to, I think the main constraint is how much time are we going to spend on technical debt? And I think what I'm inclined to do here is say, I think the, the amount we had before is probably fine three weeks a year per developer, but we, we skipped it intentionally for nine months and we're going to add that onto the first six months of next year. Um, so same constraint. Okay. I'll have to like do the math and figure out what, what can we actually get done with that amount of time. And you, and as you think through this, don't be afraid to think about other constraints that represent other stakeholders. Like uh, bugs might be a big one for customer service. Yeah, data. Re- I don't know if you have like data imp- data requests like that come in and say, "Hey, changes in the database." Yeah, we just uh, handle all that on the fly. So we have four software engineers. We have two two DevOps people who are like doing infrastructure. I'm not counting them in this equation. We have four software engineers. At any given time, one of them is on bug fix duty. That doesn't mean they don't have any time to work on their main project, but the rule is anything that comes in from a customer interrupts you. And I think, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we looked at that as separate from technical debt yeah, yeah, people agreed. keep. Um, and whether you lump that in with technical debt or keep it out, it's something like that if it gets too high, you're going to want to do some root, dedicate maybe some root problem you know, solving. Yeah. So sorry to relitigate something we've already talked about here, but the bug fix thing and the the customer like data requests, that is what I was saying earlier about what if we just had no technical debt? Like we do not let that stuff pile up at all. There are bugs that w- there's a type of bug that's not really a bug. It's like this is a missing feature that the customer wants, but it's not really a bug. If something's really a bug, we fix it a hundred percent of the time. Like we do not have lingering bugs lying around. What you're talking about is the work that requires developer manual work to make to make the functionality happen and it could be automated with coding if if the develop if the developer took the time to do it. Yeah, but the the, re- the reason I'm bringing this up is like because we're already caught up on bugs, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice to stay caught up. But if we had this 6-month backlog, we might be like, well, it's like dev chores, you know, let how, how much time do we devote to it? So part of me is like if we just caught up on technical debt would 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 it be this way where we're just never behind ever again? I, I feel like everything I've read about technical debt suggests that it's something that y- you 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 chip away at, and there are very few situations in which it makes sense to focus on, entirely on technical debt. Um, and the situation, a good situation, could be upcoming, but it's not right now. It's after you've answered the question, "Hey, this 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 product is done is tapped out. We need to." maximize its efficiency, um, then there's an argument for focusing on technical debt. At Zane Benefits, once we made the switch to all new customers going on People Keep, 95% of the work that we had the developers doing on Zane Benefits was te- paying down technical debt and just increasing the efficiency of how the software mm-hmm. ran. No new features. Okay. I buy all that. I'm just, I guess I'm saying like an argument can be made that it's like bug fixes. And that with bug fixes, we have bug fixes paid off and it works. Um, it's a good system, but maybe the it only doesn't argument, work that way. The, the only argument would not be f- based on technical debt. It would be based on an outcome that matters to the business, which technical paying down technical debt Except would solve. I don't think we, di- we don't have that justification with bug fixes. Like a, a lot of companies in our position would say, well, let's just let the I, bug fixes. I think you should up. treat that. I think you should treat bugs the same yeah, way. No, now, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You do because like, what if you let bugs get in your, into your place? People are going to lower their NPS score. They're going to be less likely to recommend. There's an outcome there that's driving that. That you're just not. Like, I agree. That you're, that's very different. That's very. But different there's like a Marie Kondo like does this bring you joy thing? Um, like I think everyone at the company is less stressed out, more efficient, but. T- then that's team member NPS. Like you're, you're, you're prioritizing a business outcome for team member satisfaction in that case. But like, be clear about why you're doing it. I'm saying dev chores could be the same thing, though. That's fine. Be clear about that. Like, hey, we we have dissatisfied employees. The number one thing about our uh, on our team right now is that we have dissatisfied engineers because there's too much technical debt. We need to prioritize increasing employee satisfaction. 
I don't, you're not talking to me about how dissatisfied your engineers are on these podcasts. So I'm quickly assuming that that is not what's happening here. I agree. But my, my point here is that exact same argument could apply to bugs, but I like what we're doing with bugs. I don't, I, I think too many companies try to, mo- uh, try to, try to like, um, do make data driven decisions with everything to try to quantify it. And like, I think we're making the right decision with bugs, even though if you're like over the next year, what helps us achieve our goal? Probably not that. And I, and let me be clear. I'm not arguing for quantitative measurement here. I'm arguing for logical decision-making based on business outcomes. And you're t- like the bug fixes you can, you're quickly t- tying to your key differentiator, which is customer service, technical debt. I, mm. I'm just not seeing what you're tying it to logically. It just seems like this kind of thing that we're, we're discussing without it being a logical decision based on the business needs right now. You can, if, if, if you're saying like, Hey, your half your engineering team is going to quit if we don't pay down the technical debt. Okay. Let's do the technical debt. Okay. Yeah. The customer service argument is convincing. I think that our customers have no clue that there is technical debt. So, (laughs) okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fair enough. So we'll have some kind of minimum requirement, like a constraint, like you said about around technical debt. Otherwise everything else, whether it's building little features or totally new features or improving old ones, they're not different categories. It's just about prioritizing what, what, helps what we're trying to do with the company right now. What we're trying to do right now is focus on word of mouth. So it makes sense to prioritize that, but we should pull, we should still probably do a couple things so that we're not like ruining morale and all that, but we, and we should give employees a voice in what those other things are, but it probably is going to be a tough choice where everyone's going to want everything and they're not going to get it. So let them have a voice and they can help decide what are the sacrifices we're going to make in order to prioritize this other thing, which is our main goal? I love it. It's it's basically like, I haven't really thought about it this way, but it's basically like you're going, you've gone through all sorts of chain cycles, getting to this narrowed list. And you've like had, you've given your time yourself time to digest that and get, go have a down moment, you know, get sad. <laughs> they get excited about the new direction. Then have it happen again. Letting your employees go through that is the only way you're going to get them bought in to focus the focus you yeah. want to create. And you want to create a lot of focus, which is awesome for 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, not to further complicate this, because I think this fits into the framework we were just saying, but we've got this list of like 50 small things. Each one's maybe a week or two. And every single one of them would delight our customers. And it's so hard not to just be like, we can make our customers happy literally every week. Let's just go do that, <laughs> you know? That that's uh, there's hopefully someone on your on your team will make the argument. This isn't the right place for it, but like that that's a good idea in ways to increase word of mouth is to have some sort of release cycle that is remarkable on a weekly basis. Yeah, that'll be one of the. I'm going to lump them all into one thing. Like when we're prioritizing all of those little things versus custom fields versus Mailchimp integration versus you know. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. I guess I'll report back whenever we have that feedback to say what what they all said. Yeah, I guess, would you summarize any takeaways real quick before we sign off? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I th- my main takeaway is that framework. It's You have to balance things. I, I think it's nice to think, what's our top priority? We're only going to work on that. But in, even at a one-person company, I don't think you can really do that um, because there is such thing as momentum. You lose, if, if you just ignore one part of the business for a long period of time, you're going to be in trouble. But it's about setting constraints so those things can't balloon out of control and then deciding how much time am I going to allow as like flex time? Like this is going to go after the the top priority and then just go after it, I think. I like it. It's kind of very similar to what we talked about with the consulting podcast. Like I have mm-hmm. like, consulting is my constraint. And then it's like, I have to go after I have to, I do that. And then I, with all my other time, I go after whatever my top goals are, top priorities are for the, for the business. Yeah. I'm trying to think back because I, Probably most people dealing with this, if they're at a bigger company, they have some kind of like system for this already. It's really, I think the hard place to deal with this is if you're a single founder or like a very, very small team where it's not like you're delegating to other people, but it's like, how do you split up your own time? But I think the exact same process applies where you might say one day a month, I'm doing technical debt payoff. And then two weeks a month, I'm working on my top thing. And then that other week, or however you want to do it. But having a system like this, I I don't think there's any company too small to benefit from putting a framework like this together. Uh, uh, My wife used something similar, actually, to plan our family stuff. 
And it's like, listen, like there's a few things we have to do every week. <laughs> and uh, it's our constraint that we do together. Like one is date night mm-hmm. on Fridays. Like it's the priority every week. And, you know, sometimes it gets moved and rescheduled, but like we don't ever take that off the calendar. Right. You're not, you're not week to week saying, well, should we brainstorm if something's going to take priority over date night? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just set in stone. It's a constraint on our time uh, that we spend in our lives. Yeah, I guess there's a benefit to not making the decision. This is something I often forget about is the time it takes to make a decision is a cost. And even if you're doing something suboptimal, but you can do it with zero decision making, you still may end up ahead, even if it's the suboptimal path. I totally agree. I, I need to explain that more. Sometimes I do things where it's like, I have this weird thing scheduled uh, every Monday at like 3 PM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I try to explain to someone why I have it scheduled there. It's like, well, you just explained it perfectly. It makes it so I don't have to think about deciding to do it and deciding to do something is actually so expensive yeah. in terms of yeah. energy. This is like a really douchey example of it, but I know Steve Jobs was famous for always wearing the same outfit. Cause he was like, when I wake up in the morning, I don't want my first decision to be what I'm going to wear. I want it to be about something important. Um, so it's the same idea. <laughs> Yep. 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 I love it. Um, well, uh, thanks. That was actually a really interesting conversation. I appreciated you being so transparent about that. Yeah. I, I got a lot out of it. Thanks for that. I, um, I always like these conversations where, uh, I can bring my kind of developer hat and then you can wear your business hat and tell me like, stop thinking like a programmer and start thinking about what the business needs. So I I appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, you bet. Um, I, I, I also, I get, I would give you some props back the, when you, you constantly remind me how important it is to put employees first. And I think that you, hopefully your employees appreciate your mindset around that. Cause it's, it's very hard to do in your position. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website or on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. That's startuptolast.com. Also, we, uh, we'd love uh, t- if you like this podcast for you to leave a five-star review on the podcast app of your choice. It'll help us get some exposure um, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right. See you.